Thanks, Nicole. Hi, everyone. My name is Ming, and I'm one of the pastors here at Uni Church. It's really great to be able to join you as we unpack this next part of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a book full of really rich language. You know, we've seen it the last couple of weeks. And so, as usual, we are going to have question time. Uh, so, there's going to be a number that pops up on the screen. Uh, and so, flip through any questions. You know, I, I didn't get a chance to cover every single detail of this chapter, uh, of this part of the passage. Uh, but why don't we pray as we dig in, uh, and let's ask God for help. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have spoken to us. Uh, You have revealed the mysteries uh, of your will, uh, and that we can see that so clearly through your Son, Jesus, and we can see that through your Word tonight. Uh, And so as you open up this next part of Ephesians, help us to just be captivated by it, uh, to to listen to it, and to see how amazing your Son, Jesus, is and what he's done for us. Uh, We do pray that as we do that tonight, uh, please help us by your Spirit, uh, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great goals of our society here in New Zealand, one of the great goals of societies and cultures all over the world, countries all over the world, is to try and find unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. How do we get people who are so different to live together peacefully? It's the dream of any multicultural, peaceful, and tolerant society. And it's why now there's such a high value on tolerance as a virtue, because tolerance is what you need to get people who are super different to live together peacefully. You know, I used to live in a flat of 10 guys, uh, and we came together from all sorts of backgrounds, baggage, and bad habits. And one of the first challenges our flat had to overcome was cleanliness, yeah, I had a quick look back at our old flat chat. I'm no longer in that flat anymore. And I was scrolling up to the original messages, and there's all these photos of, of stacked dishes dangerously, cups all over the place, clothes on the floor. It's a mess, and people tagging and calling one another out. And I remember in our first flat meeting, you had half of us thinking, well, that's all good. That's normal. And then you had the other half of us thinking, oh, man, we, we really need to adjust our dirt tolerance if we're going to survive living here. Uh, I'll let you guess which side of the spectrum I was on. But the question is, how do we get people who are so different to live together happily? You know, someone once said, I was Googling around, and someone once said in an article, the goal of a multicultural society is to be like a fruit salad, where the differences work together, where the parts come together to make something greater than the individual parts on their own. And then someone else said in the very same article, they said, Our society, they wanted a fruit salad, but instead, we've ended up with a fruit shop. All the fruit's there, but it's all compartmentalized into its own little box. You know, us here in Auckland and the Ephesians 2,000 years ago, they would have looked around and thought, what a multicultural society we have. This is great. And yet, they would have also seen so many of us live our lives mixing in with no one except people just like us. Take a moment to think about everything that makes us different and might separate us. Race, education, language, age, marital status, and so many more things have the potential to divide us from one another, aren't there? And it's not just in society, but these divisions can happen so easily in the church. Us Christians, we divide very readily over musical preference, the way church services are run, the things church focuses on, how do we do youth and kids at church? We divide very readily, and so the question is, how do we get real unity in diversity? 
Is it even possible? Is it just a pipe dream? Do we just give it up? This is what Paul is dealing with here in the second half of Ephesians tonight. Now, last week, we saw the bad news and the good news, right? We saw how all of us, every single human being was dead, spiritually dead. We were cut off from God and so cut off from the source of life itself. Without Jesus, we're like flowers in a florist, so beautiful at times and yet dead. And its beauty blinds us to the fact that we're actually cut off from life. And so left on our own, we simply won't come back to God. So that was the bad news, right? But then, verse 4, it says, but God. There was good news. God has done something about it. God has saved us and given us life in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If we just stopped there, stopped at the, at chapter, the first half of chapter 2 and didn't read on in Ephesians, it's very easy and you could think it's just about me and God. That's what it's all about. That all that matters is individually your relationship with God and that's it. But our passage today shows us that's only part of the picture. Yes, Jesus' death and resurrection for you personally to restore a relationship with God, that's super important. But God, he has an even bigger plan than that. See, God doesn't just unite us to him individually. He doesn't just break the barriers between him and us. No, he also knocks down the barriers between us and us, humanity. You could say God creates vertical peace, humanity and God, but he also creates horizontal peace between one another. And so God's plan is not just to redeem each of us individually, it's to create a new people. His church united to Jesus and united to one another. That's what our passage is all about tonight. But it's going to take a bit of hard work to work through it. So I'm warning you up front, all right? There's a lot of what can seem like theoretical discussion between Jews and Gentiles that don't seem super relevant for us. But if we do the hard work together, we can get to the real practical endpoint for what God really desires for us. So three points. They're all from our passage. They're in your outlines. We were, but now, and we are. So let's dig in. First point, we were. Up on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, it says this. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, it's pretty hard for us to fully understand the world of the New Testament. You know, it was ages ago. But before Jesus came, there was this great division in humanity. What was that great division? It was a division between Jew and Gentile. See, the Jews were not simply one nation among many. It's not like the difference between Jews and Romans or Jews and Persians or Jews and any other nation. It was Jews and then there was everyone else, Gentiles non-Jews. And that's the way God had made things. The Jews were the people of God, and everyone else, they were excluded. For a Gentile to come into the people of God, they had to be circumcised, which, as you can imagine, was quite the stumbling block, at least for us males. But even more than that, they had to follow the laws. Laws about what they can and can't eat, what they can and can't wear, special days and ceremonial requirements. They had to become a Jew in every single way. And God, he created that separation. 
He created and chose the nation of Israel so Jews might be holy, set apart, a light and a blessing to the other nations. Now, sadly, all too often, Jews took that separation as an end of itself. They had no desire for Gentiles, other nations or ethnicities to, come be, to become Jews and be part of God's people. Instead, they saw Gentiles as, as lower human beings. They referred to them as, as dogs, dirty, detestable, things like that. So instead of seeing themselves as the nation especially blessed by God to be a blessing to the other nations, all too often, Jews saw themselves as the only nation blessed and loved by God. The other day, Angela and I, my wife Angela and I, were, were shopping at Taiping, you know, the, the Asian supermarket we have here in Auckland. And as we were shopping around, as you do, uh, everything seemed totally normal. You know, we walked through the walked past the fruit and veg, walked past the Asian snacks in the butchery. There was tons of Asian grannies and grandpas, uncles and aunties around. It was totally normal, right? Now, Angela asked me to go, go make my way to the soy sauce section. So I made my way to the soy sauce section. And, you know, there's a million brands of soy sauce. I didn't really know what I was doing. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this white guy standing there next to me. And I was like, whoa, what's he doing here? Does he even know what he's doing? This is, this, is, this, is Asia, this is an Asian shop, isn't it? Now, if you thought that was bad, that's only a tiny bit of how the Jews viewed everyone else. It wasn't just about race, though, or culture, or ethnicity. It was everything. And there were key symbols of that separation. You know, we mentioned some before. There was circumcision and the law. But the big, big division was the, at the temple in Jerusalem. Because at the temple there was this great literal wall that separated insiders and outsiders. And on that wall, there was a sign that actually said, if you're a Gentile, if you're a stranger, and you go in, you will die. You can actually go to museums today and actually find these signs. So here's a picture of one of them. It says this, and this sign actually says this, no stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. So there are all these things to say that you're excluded. You're excluded from God, and you're excluded from the people of God. Now, here's the thing. Paul is writing here in Ephesians predominantly to Gentile Christians, people like I think most of us here. Not necessarily everyone, but most of us here. And we haven't explored much of this up until now. We mentioned it last week. But Paul uses this we and us and you language all throughout Ephesians. And what he's talking about is this we and us are Paul and his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. And the, the you language are the Gentile Christians who are now included. And Paul says, and we're finally at our passage, verse 11, now that you're included, remember so have a look, verse 11 says this, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. See, there are things in life we work really hard to remember, aren't there? And we work hard to remember them because they're important. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a public holiday for Anzac Day so that we might remember, because it's important, the lives of those who fought for our nation. And so, a couple of years ago, uh, when Angela and I moved to Sydney, uh, we had to sign out and work out all these legal documents. And on these documents, one of the questions asked us, uh, date of marriage, our anniversary. 
Now, I'm, I'm the admin guy of the house, so I was filling out all the forms and, and going along, and then I gave them over to Angela to proofread. And then Angela found one, one of the forms, pointed at it, and looked at me grumpily. Angela was grumpy because I meant to remember our wedding date because it's important. I'd got that wrong. Now, let's just say I've never forgotten our anniversary ever again. And Paul says here, remember. Remember what you once were, that you were once excluded. Remember that without Jesus, this is what we Gentiles once were. Now, why does he want us to remember that? It's such a horrible thing, right? Well, he wants us to remember that because he wants us to never take for granted what we now have in Jesus. And he lists four things in verse 12, what we once were. In verse 12, we were without Jesus. We were Christless, homeless. We were hopeless, and we're godless. Now, these things, they're not good things. I've just rushed through them, and they've got a lot packed into them. But in short, he's saying that without Jesus, we're directionless, purposeless, and our lives are empty. We have no God, and we have no hope. Now, in other places, Paul makes it a point to say that even as a Jew, a person who was meant to be a person of God, he wasn't in a much better position than the Gentiles anyway. You know, he may have been circumcised, but it was only in the flesh. His heart was still hard to God. But Paul's point is here, is that as Gentiles, we didn't even have a hope. At least the Jews, they had God, and they were waiting for a Messiah to come. The Gentiles didn't even have that. So Paul says, remember. When I was 14, you know, a teenager, I went on a trip to America, San Francisco, California, with my dad. Uh, and we stayed at the Hilton Resort. You know, at home, I only had a single bed, but at the resort, I had a king-size bed. You know, there was a jacuzzi, multiple swimming pools, and there was epic views. We took photos of everything. It was, it was crazy ritzy. Now, early on, my dad kept telling me, don't touch anything. I don't want you knocking over some expensive lamp or, or breaking some coffee table or something. And so for the first couple of days, we were sort of walking on eggshells. But by the end of week one, week two, we were just at home. We were just relaxed, and my dad would even let me wander around the resort on my own. It was great. But it got to the point where we kind of stopped being amazed at how incredible the resort was. We didn't take photos anymore, and I was finding my king-size bed was getting a little bit small. You know, we'd been there for so long, we'd grown accustomed to it, and it just felt like this was ours. We're entitled to it. And spiritually, we're in danger of being a bit like this. As we go on in the Christian life, it's so easy to take for granted the privileges of being in Christ, of having every spiritual blessing. We take that for granted. And this is why Paul says, remember. Remember what we were without Jesus. And he wants us to remember this so that we stay amazed and never take for granted the next two words he has to say. But now. But now something has changed. This is the next point in your outlines. Uh, have a look. Verse 13 is up on the screen. It says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We Gentiles who had no hope now have a hope. And it's all through the blood of Jesus. Where, his death, where through his death, he paid the price for our sin and opened up a way to God. Now, we've, we've heard all this before, haven't we? Because it's, 
It's repeating the main point of last week's sermon. Check it out online if you missed out. And what verse 13 here is saying in our passage, we were far away, but now we're brought close to God. But he's also making an extra point with his language here. And this is his big point. Because now we haven't just been brought near to God, we've been brought near to one another. See, if God's at the center, the center of everything, and we were all once far away, when we're brought close to God, we're not just close to Him, we're close to one another. So have a look, verse 14, it's up on the screen. For He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Who are the two groups? Jew and Gentile. Jesus made both groups one, and He has torn down this dividing wall of hostility. Now, the dividing wall of hostility is not a metaphorical wall at this point. He's also literally talking about that wall around the temple that we were talking about earlier. Now, at the time, a Gentile might have said, well, hang on, they still won't let me past. There's still a sign on that temple in Jerusalem because back then the, the temple walls hadn't been physically destroyed until 10 years later. But Paul would have still said to them, no, 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 it's been destroyed because you don't need to go to the temple to meet with God anymore. Both Jews and Gentile, people who trust in Jesus, can meet together as God's people with God wherever they want to meet. God no longer dwells in a temple. He dwells by His Spirit in His people. Now, besides the wall, what else divided Jews and Gentiles? You know, we talked about it earlier, the Old Testament law. So have a look at the end of verse 14. It says this, In His flesh, in Jesus' flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. You know, earlier this year, we worked our way through Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew chapter 5, we saw that God's law is still important. God's moral standards, they don't change. God doesn't follow opinion polls on, on right and wrong or, or what's good or bad. But we also saw that Jesus fulfilled the law. He brings it to completion. Jesus lives the life we couldn't. He dies the death we deserved. And, and so he, in that regard, fulfills the law in that sense. So in Jesus, the law no longer is effective to condemn us, right? But in Jesus, we also find a new appreciation and love for God's law. So if you need a refresher on all this, uh, just have a look back at our Matthew series, especially in chapter 5. Uh, so Jesus, he, you know, he breaks down this, this dividing wall, this metaphorical wall, but also the literal physical wall. And he also makes no effect this law to convent, condemn us. And this all brings us finally to the high point of our passage. So we've done all the hard work now. This is the high point of our passage. Have a look from verse 16. He did this so that we might reconcile both to God, uh, that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In Jesus' death, he created one unified people, one body. And he was getting rid of the hostility between us and God first, but also between us and us. And Jesus' message of peace is for people who were near you know, it's for the Jews who are right at the doorstep, and it's for people who are far, like the people of China, or the people of France, or the people here in New Zealand. 
Because now anyone can come to God the Father through Jesus. And this is why Paul repeats the same idea in lots of other places in the Bible. Have a look. One of them's here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. It says this. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And then again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ. This is the church. And this is what we are meant to be, coming together, whatever our background, bringing together people from across every possible division our society or culture might put up, coming together as one in Christ, united in Christ. Now, we need to be careful not to make God say what he isn't saying here. He's not saying that all those distinctions are now irrelevant. If you're a Jew, you're still a Jew when you become a Christian, You're still Chinese or or British or male and female. God made us differently with different skills, gifts, abilities, and passions, right? God doesn't want uniformity in his church. He actually wants the opposite. He wants complementarity, where our differences complement one another, and, and so that we rejoice in that. See, uniformity is what our world is trying to do at the moment. Our world is trying to create this unity by saying, oh, there's no difference. Our world says, male and females, they're the same. There's no difference between Muslim, Buddhists, Christians, all religions are the same. That's what our world is trying to do. Enforce uniformity, and it doesn't work. You cannot force people to, to get on by pretending that they're all the same. The church is far more miraculous than that. God says, you're different. All those things that might divide you, the differences, they still exist. You're still male and female. You're still married or single. You're still Jew or Gentile, Maori or Pakeha, whatever it is, but you come together despite your differences. The people of God come together despite their differences and even rejoice in those differences because we are all equal before God. We are all saved in exactly the same way through the blood of Jesus. Now, this is not saying God simply accepts everyone and it doesn't matter what they believe or how they live. Then this new people are only those who recognize their sin and trust in Jesus. So sometimes we, we will reluctantly turn people away, but it's not because they're Jewish, not because of their heritage, rich or poor, extroverted or introverted. No, it's because they don't want to trust in Jesus and they don't want to live as one of God's children who listen to their father. But what this does mean is that we offer the gospel to all people. It's not just for people like me or people like you. It's for everyone. In primary school, I used to be a really short, fat, chubby Asian kid, right? And and during PE time, uh, our teacher would sometimes say, we're going to play soccer or we're going to play t-ball or a sport like that. So they'll pick two captains and they'll be like, okay, everyone else, line up. Captains, pick your teams. And so the captains, they would, you know, one by one pick their teams and, and, you know, it's usually their friends or the people who are the most athletic. And then towards the end, the captains, they start to realize they're going to end up with Ming. Oh no, I was the short, fat, chubby Asian kid. But that's not how God's family works. The people of God, they hate cliques or favorites in the church. Now it'll happen 
they still exist because we're still waiting for Jesus to come back and we're still fallen sinners. And so there is a reality that we will have closer friendships with some over others, but we should never be happy with the idea that some people are in, in the people of God, and some people are out in the people of God. And this is also why I'm not a massive fan of single ethnic group churches. Now, there's a good reason for them to exist, like things like to overcome cultural barriers or language barriers. You know, and I have great friends who are running single ethnic group churches. But in the end, and they themselves would agree, they don't quite reflect what God wants his church to reflect. You know, I know, I know for us Christian Asians, we love the letter C. We call our churches Chinese Christian Center, CCC for short, or Chinese Community Church of the Cross of Christ, CCCCC for short. And it ends up being this competition for who can fit the most C's into their church's name. See, we need to be careful that our cultures and traditions don't stand over or take priority over what we see in God's Word. Because God says, I want your church to be open and welcoming to anyone and everyone who wants to come and follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. See, the measure of a church is not how well we welcome the person who is like me, the person who I'd get along with if I was just somewhere else, somewhere out elsewhere in the world. The real measure of the church is how well we welcome the person who I would have no other reason to know other than the fact that they want to know or have come to know Jesus. I'm going to give you some homework today, and it's to do right after church, right after church, and I'll be watching. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I won't actually be watching, uh, but I don't want anyone to bail out and say, you know, I've, I've got to run away early. I want you to find someone who you don't really know that well and go and welcome them. If you're someone here who's new, then that's going to be super easy for you. Just sit back, relax, and let people come to you. But I want us to actually go Go out of our way and find someone you don't really know well at all and welcome them. Because this is expressing what we see in our passage tonight. It's things like this that really show that the church is unlike any social club or interest group in this world. We are the people of God. We are one people, united by our faith in Jesus Christ. Now this brings us to our third point, we are. So in verse 19 it says this, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Paul is saying, Gentiles like us here, alongside the Jewish Christians, any Jewish Christians, together, we are citizens of God's kingdom. And if you try to think back you know, three, four years ago or so, the last time you went to an airport and, and had to walk through customs, when you arrive in a new country, there's two lines. There's the, you're one of us line, the express line. And then there's the, you're not one of us line, you have a, you have a different passport. And so about three years ago, you know, I was visiting Taiwan to meet my now father-in-law. And as we landed in Taiwan and got off the plane and went through customs, Angela, you know, she had a Taiwanese passport, so she just cruised on through and was waiting there at the end. Me, on the other hand, I had to go in the other line, the one for foreigners which was massively long, and, and Angela was waiting for ages. But here's the thing. When it comes to God's kingdom, we are, there are no foreigners. There's no other line. There's only one line, 
the line for those who trust in Jesus. Now, there's this third image that Paul uses to describe God's people, and I think it's the, actually the main one we see in our passage. So have a look with me in verse 21. It says this. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. So together, Christians gathered together just like this are God's temple. See, the church is not a building. If any church knows that it's not a building, then it's a church meeting in this building. You know, here at Uni Church, we, we slog it out. We're meeting in a lecture theater, and we slog out each week to pack up and set up every week, and we meet all, all over the place to read Bible, meet, do our Bible studies uh, during the week. We know that the church is not about the building, right? So what is the building for then? It's something to keep us warm and drier than if we had to meet outside. That's all it is. There's nothing holy or special about the building. And that's because we don't meet God in a temple. You meet God by coming to Jesus. And Jesus is present by his spirit wherever his people are present. And that's Paul's point here. But, but there's a caveat here, metaphorically, the church is a building. And it says this in verse 22. Verse 22, it says this. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. So what are the bricks God uses to build his dwelling place here on earth? It's you. It's all of us, people who trust in Jesus. See, the church isn't one person. It's not the staff team. It's every single person here who trusts in Jesus. And God is working to shape us and bring us together, not just to be some social club or, or society with common interest, he, but to be his very dwelling place on earth. This is how precious this thing here, this God's gathered people, are to God. And what this means, and this is a really important one, you cannot be a solo Christian. It doesn't make sense to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be part of a church. It's like saying, I want to be a brick, but I don't want to be part of a building. Or, or I want to get married, but I don't want to have a spouse. Or, or I want to be a parent, but, but I don't want to have kids. You know, it doesn't make sense, right? Because together, we are the temple of God, and God dwells with us by His Spirit. Now have a quick look at what our foundation is, the foundation of this metaphorical building. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Now, when Paul says the apostles and prophets here, he means their teaching. He means the scriptures, the Bible. The word of God is the foundation of God's people. And the point is, the teaching of God's word is what matters to us. And that's why here at Uni Church, the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of God's word all of it, chapter by chapter, not just the bits that we want to hear, is central to everything we do. Without that, we're nothing. We're irrelevant. We may as well be you know, some, some soccer club or, or a knitting group or whatever society people want to come up with. What makes us the temple of God, the place God dwells on earth, is that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the word of God with Jesus as our cornerstone. It's this foundation that makes us what I call tolerantly intolerant. The people of God are tolerantly intolerant. See, we will welcome anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of us and stand with us on that foundation, right? 
And we will share the gospel with, with anyone and anyone, whatever race, tribe, or tongue they're from. We will share with anyone and say, come, be a part of us, and welcome them into the family. But we won't move off that foundation of the Word of God to do it. Do you see it? This passage calls us to appreciate the incredible unity we have in the gospel, right? Inclusion, despite all our differences. But it's not a unity at all costs. If someone says, I don't want to accept the word of God, or, or I don't want to follow Jesus, they cannot be a part of what we've been talking about tonight. It's a unity based only on that foundation, the gospel and the word of God. You know, our, our divisions today, they might not be between Jew or Gentile, but there's still lots of division within churches in there. And this really gets us to ask ourselves the question, what really matters to us? Is it just our musical preference? Is it simply how connect groups are run? Is it because you're looking for people who are just like you? Our challenge is how do we handle disagreements in a way that reflects this incredible unity we have in Jesus, but also grounded in the gospel and God's word. Friends, God has removed all hostility between his people. There is no room for division in the church of Christ. There is no such thing as a second-class Christian. We are all united in Christ, and our unity, it's a real unity because it's built on the truth. You know, it's not some fake facade or some enforced unity or even us just trying to be polite. It's a unity built on what's true, the truth that Jesus is our cornerstone and that he really did die and he really did rise again for his people, for us, so we might be brought near to God and near to one another. So as we close, let's pray that we might remember that. We might remember that what we once were and what we now have in Jesus. Peace with God and peace with one another. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so forgetful and we need reminding of what we once were, what we didn't have without your son Jesus. Uh, and so as we think about what you have shown us today, the reality that we have been brought near to you by the blood of your Son, you've made us a new people between Jews and Gentiles, everyone from all sorts of backgrounds, you've brought us near to you and near to one another. So please help us to set aside our divisions and stand firmly on that solid rock, your Son Jesus, and your Word, uh, the, gospel, uh, and your word the Bible. Uh, please help us to point each other to that and help us to set aside our differences and marvel at the differences that we do have uh, and that you've gifted us in. But above all else, help us to be captivated by your son and what he has done for us and made us a new people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.